0: All right, HCC, how are you doing today? Man, I genuinely miss you. And some of you are going, would you have lied to us, Todd, if you didn't? No, I think I just wouldn't have been as genuine as I am right now. I've been away the last two weekends doing some really great, huge stuff. One even more significant than the other. I've been telling you about a wedding that's been coming. It came and it went and it was awesome. Take a pic. This is Joe and Aaliyah after they've been pronounced husband and wife and walking on their way back through all their guests. And it was just so great. rain had been in the forecast. It held off till the next day. And we just said, yay, God. So a great time getting these two married. We're so grateful for them and excited about their new life together. And then fast forward, come back to a busy week after that. And Jackson and I have this incredible privilege of speaking at a men's retreat up in the Wrightwood area with a crazy group of guys from Flipside Church, in Rancho Cucamonga. They've asked us back 10 Times 10 years to come back to this thing. I keep telling them there are way better speakers. You need to figure it out. But anyways, they keep doing it. We've just built actually some great bonds and some great friendships with these men, as well as it's just great, great time with my son. So and you might've seen Pastor Jack in the foreground there. He came up Sunday morning, and we finished off our time together. So I've been out doing stuff. I hope you're doing well. It's so good to be back with you. If you have a Bible, would you make your way to Genesis chapter three, first book in the Bible, three chapters in, is where we're gonna begin in just a minute. If you have your notes, have those handy, ready to go, and I was thinking about it. I was so grateful. Rick Langer and Jody Livingston did such an amazing job our last two weekends in this series, really connecting dots in some really significant ways. I'm grateful for both of them and the truth that they brought from God's word on both weekends. But what I really wish is that I would have known Jody and had access to his map and compass that one day when I was in the fifth grade. We get off the bus, it is pitch black dark, And all I can see, there's snow on the ground and with this group of, kind of this Christian version of Boys Brigade is the best way I know how to explain it. Not to say that boys, or I'm sorry, it was called Boys Brigade of the Boy Scouts. Not to say that the Boy Scouts are not well anyways so anyways we do this thing and we're at this retreat, this big house is all it really was there might have been 30 or 40 of us and they made a huge deal when we got off the bus it's pitch black we can't see anything but he just said you can't see it but there is a big drop off right on the other side of where we're at right now do not go over there tomorrow when it's light Okey-doke. go to bed get up in the morning, and I'm I'm thinking, I don't even remember if we had breakfast yet, but I heard, this was a group of fifth and sixth graders, I'm in the fifth grade, and there are some really cool macho sixth graders who come back from looking over the edge and come back and tell me and my friends, I think there's enough time for us to do this quick hike. Down there, we see a lake down, down below. Let's go check it out. And I'm just gonna tell you in this moment, I know what it was. It was me wanting to be accepted and be befriended by these big sixth graders. And it was my friend's incredible discernment and wisdom to say, that's a horrible idea. We were told no, but man, we did it. And as we went down over the edge of this side, my, my friends didn't, by the way. I'm the only doofus who did. We went down this side. It was a thousand foot drop, not straight like a cliff, but it angled down a thousand foot to the floor below. We navigated it somehow. There's a group of five of us without getting killed. And once we got down to the bottom, what seemed like a lake just beyond reach, after three hours of walking in that direction, never found but a trickle and a crick. I said crick, creek. And, and as we got to some point, we realized we didn't tell a single person we were leaving. That is not gonna go well. And so, by the way, this took three hours to come to this realization. It wasn't just after a few minutes, like, this is a bad idea. We're three hours in, and then we make this huge brainstorming movement. Some guys, as we turn back to go back, some guys think, if we just shear the cliff on this side, this grade, I think that's, and others of us said, that's a bad idea, let's go this way, so of course, we split up. It just gets better. Towards the end, we somehow got up on the side to the main road. I remember as a kid getting up on the side of this road, just weeping and thinking, I have been found. No one's even coming yet, but I know the way. And there are search and rescue helicopters circling us and realizing, oh snap, I think we've made a really bad move. And as we came back to the camp and I'm feeling like I've been found, it's like now two or three o'clock in the afternoon. We've been gone all day. Everyone back at camp, having no idea where we went, were frantic, lies you'd expect. Everyone back at camp had no idea even where to look. They get on the phone, call search and rescue, and the entire trip was completely torpedoed by what I'm going to call our dangerous curiosity. And that's what we're talking about today. In the next sequence of what we're looking at of what we might maybe say more common reasons of why Jesus's sheep stray from the flock. We've talked about a couple already. The third one in our sequence today is a dangerous curiosity. And if you have followed Christ long enough, you have had people from your small group, people that you've served with, sadly, even people from your own family that though once were with you in those contexts, no longer are. They made a decision to walk away from their faith. And that's what the series is about, is not only better understanding that, but really wanting to equip us to ask God, God, would you put on my heart, would you create a way, God, I'm praying for, the people in my oikos who've walked away from their faith, that we would have more of a courage, more of a resolve to not just let them go unengaged. Let me first, before we go any further, let's talk about what kind of curiosity we're talking about. Curiosity in and of itself depends on the way we're defining it. There's a, a great understanding of what curiosity is, the drive that helps us wanna understand how things work, the drive that moves us to invent new things, the drive that, invent, that causes us to wanna be able to understand how do the pieces fit together and how can we do something better than we've done before? There's something great about the reality of that kind of curiosity. But the kind of curiosity that causes us to say, I wanna daydream about ways that I can medicate my pain. I wanna let my thoughts run wild and control me about how I can get even with the people who've hurt me. I wanna fantasize about sexual experiences that are outside of what God in his word says are good. That's what I would call a dangerous curiosity curiosity to go outside of the will and the way of god to try to see for ourselves what's there and it, this illustration we've been using all throughout of shepherd and sheep really makes sense and so when you decide that you wanna go outside the fold, take a look at this picture. This is a sheep who's gotten outside the fence and is out there and thinking on the one hand, I can just see when I saw this picture, all I can do is think about the sheep on the outside going, it ain't so bad. Look at all those dummies on the inside where the shepherd's said to stay. But the reality is, is when we leave the shepherd's side, when we leave what he has for us, we can get quickly entangled in things That go much more awry just like this sheep did and just like we do when we walk the same way by the way that soccer net will never be the same again so think of this you've heard that phrase fill it in with me curiosity killed the cat have you ever heard the one curiosity tethered the sheep i don't know take a look (laughs) (laughs) now some of you are going that is so not funny poor sheepy and others of us are just thinking it's great. So I don't even know what to say. It's what it is. Um, When we talk about, by the way, this dangerous curiosity, I want to be really clear as we've tried to do in other messages in this series. We're not saying that everyone who has stepped into a dangerous, curious experience means that they walk away from the shepherd. We're not saying that at all. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. So we're not saying that this is only true of people who leave their faith are those who explore a dangerous curiosity, but here's what happens when we do. Once we explore a dangerous curiosity that God says outside of the fold, outside of where you're protected, it'll usually do one of two things. Number one, it will cause some sheep to say, man, that was horrible. The consequences of that were like the shepherd had told me. I believe and I have a greater trust in the shepherd's ways than I ever did before. And it causes a greater connection to the shepherd who had warned, don't go out there. But then a second reality also happens. And it's a reality that says it's basically the headwaters of what begins in a dangerous curiosity just kind of keeps forming, just becomes something of altogether wandering and straying from both the flock and the shepherd. It's the beginning of their end. And so what we want to do in this message today is we want to do the same three things we've been trying to do all throughout this series. Number one, we want to better understand why do sheep Engage in dangerous curiosities that lead them away from the flock, from the shepherd. Secondly, we wanna fortify our own faith. We wanna better understand, God, how do I keep from allowing dangerous curiosities to get a grip in my life so that I doubt your goodness and doubt your ways? One of the things, by the way, that we've said early on, remember that I told you when I read a, just this, an article about literally the animals that, that wander and what to do And it said two things, build better fences and do things that keep predators away. This picture sums it up well. And if you go, Todd, man, that's kind of brutal. Why would you show that? Number one, it's a jackal. I don't think we have many in the high desert. So I thought, well, being removed, like, oh, I guess that's horrible in Australia. But secondly, this, what would be worse is if I showed you a picture of the sheep that that jackal slaughtered had it not been for offense keeping a predator away. You see, when you love something, you want to take good care of it and you need to keep predators at bay. The Bible says as much, there is an enemy who is after you. You don't have to look there, your Bible's open to to, uh, Genesis three, but first Peter five eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, looking for you to devour. So we don't take that threat lightly for our church family or for those in our oikos. So finally, we wanna be better equipped exactly to do that, to reach out to those who have strayed from their faith due to pursuing dangerous curiosities, God, how can you, would you give us resolve to not give up on people who've wandered? All right, that's where we're going. Number one in your notes today. Doubting God's goodness is often where dangerous curiosity begins. Doubting God's goodness is often where dangerous curiosity begins. Your Bibles are open to Genesis three. This is how that chapter begins, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is where it all began. Genesis chapters one and two are the account of God's creative work in our universe. And we only get to chapter three before the bottom falls out. And it falls out, this is where it, it was not just a dangerous curiosity that affected Eve, not just a dangerous curiosity that affected Adam, it has affected all of us and all of creation ever since. This was a lethal curiosity, ushering in sin and death. And when you think about the, the conversation that's going on, this is the basis for the fall. It began with the serpent, Satan's temptation, that preyed upon the idea that God was not acting in their best interest. That's the basic essence of the argument that he makes, the, the temptation that he pulls on that hook, limiting them from one to one, limiting them from one tree they could not partake of. Look at how Satan's temptation took multiple approaches. First, he lied to her. It was a flat out lie that she, something she hadn't experienced and had to trust God's word to her for. When he says, you will certainly not die, that absolutely was going to happen. But watch, that was the only one that was right out the front door. He tempted her with inside knowledge and experience that was otherwise not available to her because she'd been living within God's boundaries. When you eat from it, your eyes will be open. She has no way to know if that's true or not, because up until this point, they have enjoyed everything but this tree. And finally, he assured her of a status that was incredibly desirable, that of being like God himself. So these are the three forks of the temptation. And what's powerful is that Eve had a very clear understanding of who she was. She had a very clear understanding of her role within the created order and the incredible role that God had given to her and Adam as the highest of the created beings. But it was quickly undone when a crafty salesman was selling her something that would make her doubt whose she was and make her doubt all the good that God had already provided for her. One of the resources that I'm going to just uh, recommend to you in this message today is that of this book, Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore. And uh, what's great about this book is it really walks through a little bit of a different temptation, but it has a lot of similarities of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert at the beginning of his gospel ministry. But the book does such a great job, and that's another word we could use for this concept of dangerous curiosity is the word temptation. And this is what he has to say about it. Temptation starts with a question of identity and moves to a confusion of the desires and ultimately heads to a contest of futures. This is these three stages as he sees it. The serpent led the woman to act as though he had dominion over her instead of the other way around. He persuaded her to see herself as an animal instead of what she had been told she was. And I love this phrase, the image-bearing queen of the universe, a principality of power and power over the beast. And that is so well said. That's who God said she was. But with this temptation, she was tempted to believe something very different, something much less of herself. And this follows the same suit in our lives. We weren't in that garden. We weren't tempted by that that serpent. But man, we feel the temptations of the flesh all the time. Something that both of these powers, our rooted group right now this last week was walking through this reality of, of what temptation and what role the supernatural, the demonic have and what role our flesh has. James says it this way, chapter one, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, you and me, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And it says, when we talked about it earlier today, we said not every single person who wanders into dangerous curiosities then leaves their faith. Because in one part, one thing that begins to happen is this, there is a keen awareness that something about what I'm doing does not jive with the faith, with the understanding of what it is to be in God's flock. It doesn't make sense, it doesn't connect with what the people of God act like who are set aside unto him. And what we need is something to snap us back and remind us, wait a second, this is not the direction I'm built to, I'm designed to go, I want nothing to do with that, I wanna come back. And that's actually a great story of repentance and reconciliation when that happens. The problem is is that there's also a spiral effect that I've just seen so many times that takes place when those stray long-term? In your notes, what kind of curiosity leads to the spiral of straying and ultimately rejecting faith? And there's four things that I typically see that make that up. First, exploring behaviors and interests. Input that was knowingly sin, it's out of bounds. It's not where God said to go. It moves on to enjoying these taboo things that makes us consider, makes us wonder, what were all the warnings for? This looks great. What is the downside of what I'm doing? From exploring into evaluating that a choice needs to be made to either renounce these new things, these dangerous curiosities, or to renounce one's faith because they can't coexist. There's enough understanding, enough reality of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, or the word of God that they can read, or the Christian community, or just their own moral compass to say, these two can't coexist. Saying that I'm following the shepherd's lead, but yet following my own lead at the same time. And when they come to that stage of evaluation, then it moves to this final stage, the choices made to escape to escape the faith and engage this new lifestyle. And sadly, over the course of my lifetime, over the course of being in ministry, I have seen so many people who begin with investigating, exploring dangerous curiosities, but go headlong into it. And rather than live within the protection of the shepherd, they wander into the wild. And so that's, that's an observation of the beginning of this time. Let's move into how do we fortify our own faith as a result. Number two in your notes, both disengagement and engagement are needed to ward off dangerous curiosity. Both disengagement, pulling back from some things, and purposeful engagement in others are needed to ward off dangerous curiosity. This, by the way, is written to us, to those of us who are still with the shepherd, who want to follow him. This is what keeps us from wandering away. First Timothy, chapter four, verse six. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, You'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. This is Paul talking to his protege, a pastor at Ephesus named Timothy. Look at what he says. Nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. This verse is powerful. And by the way, just because it's written to a pastor doesn't mean it's not true for us. And you see two dynamics of engagement. The dynamics really kind of make sense to us in just normal lifestyle things. Out of nourishment, are you eating on the good food? Are you putting things into your mind, into your heart that develop a greater understanding, a greater gratitude, a greater love for God and for people? But then also at the end, there's something that you have to choose to do, choose to get up off the couch to train yourself to be godly. There's this idea of, of diet and exercise. That's what is bubbling to the top in Paul's words. And these are words of engagement. These are things that we will naturally slink from, but instead are called to. So here we are on Super Bowl weekend. And I even look around, by the way, I've, I haven't really even said hi to you. I just told you that I missed you. For those of you watching online as well, you very well may be here tonight, here today, because you're thinking, I got Super Bowl plans this weekend. That's what I want to be about. This is great. But I was contrasting what's going on in the Super Bowl and I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about the diet and the workouts that Super Bowl athletes are engaging. This is the kind of stuff they eat, workouts that we probably can't even understand. And I'm thinking, I'm contrasting that though with the athletes who play in the Super Bowl with the viewers who watch the Super Bowl and it looks a lot more like this. Nachos, all kinds of things with gooey cheeses, all the things I love to eat. And by the way, there's no workouts. There's laying on the couch. So it's a great contrast. You're watching people who've eaten well, who've trained well, smashing into each other while you're going Pass the guacamole, but that's what it is. And so when you think of this idea, what God's calling us to is a little bit more like the Super Bowl athlete and less like the Super Bowl viewer, which by the way, no judgment. That's what I'm gonna be doing, okay? So when we think about this concept, when this thing of, of health and exercise, spiritually speaking, think about the opposite. Think about the contrast, The contrast is sloth. The contrast is laziness. The contrast is comfort that just kind of lets the world go by. I try to remind myself occasionally of what maybe God would want in this situation. I I try to make it to worship services when it fits my schedule. And when we live those lives, of disengagement, of not engaging in what God's called us into, then we wonder, God, why does this dangerous curiosity have such a hold on me? Why am I, am I filling my mind with these thoughts and these daydreams more than ever? I'm even close to when I'm filling my heart and my mind with God's word. When I think about this idea of ease and comfort. I couldn't, I was just blown away. The book I just told you I recommended, Tempted and Tried, has this powerful section that it talks about what, uh, I'm shifting gears a little bit from sheep to cattle. And what the author goes to talk about is these incredible advances that they've made and how they move the journey from that of being uh, livestock to meat products in the life of a cow. And what they realized was shock and awe actually did things into their system that caused the meat to be less than good. So they realized, how can we, in a sense, lure a cow into the reality of becoming ground beef without them ever even knowing it? And they have. They figured out a way to make the whole thing look like just at the ranch that they'd been living at. People clothed the same way, going down this thing that even feels like a sofa bed on either side as they walk through the thing, only to their end, having never seen it coming. And I thought about that, and I thought about, God, that's so true for how often, how subtle following these dangerous curiosities can become in our lives This is not a new idea, C.S. Lewis wrote about it clearly in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is this wonderful flip. It is a, a demon talking to his nephew, training his nephew to be a good demon. And this is an excerpt from the book. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That fits that cattle illustration perfectly and sadly is something that we have to wake ourselves up. What am I doing? Where have I drifted from when the shepherd so clearly said, stay here with me? By the way, this book, The Screwtape Letters, is a great read, a great audiobook read, but another thing I did, if you look on the back of your notes, both books I've recommended today are there, but you'll note there's a QR code. I found four really great, what I'll just call doodle drawings that are an overview of the book, The Screwtape Letters, that have this great art going on while you're listening to the book. It's there on YouTube. It'd be a great, just even be familiar. If you don't know what The Screwtape Letters is all about, it'd be worth the watch. Now, as we talk about that, one of the things over this last summer, we went through the Psalms and I had the privilege of looking at Psalm 73. I don't have the time to unearth that whole Psalm today, but let me give you the overview. It's written by a guy named Asaph and Asaph is a worship leader in God's tabernacle in God's place of worship and gathering. And yet it's incredibly honest and vulnerable because he says, I was being lured away by all the benefits I saw of the wicked, so much so I almost walked away from my faith. This is how the psalm begins. 73 verse one, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, this is verse two, right out of the gates, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In this psalm, he goes on to just give an overview of God. They have it so good. These people who completely don't care about you, completely are gods unto themselves. Their lives are full and blessed. And then he contrasted, but here am I trying to follow you and my life is filled with trials and difficulties, This absolutely makes no sense. They're being blessed while I'm being cursed. And he says that when his mind was so muddied, when he was following after this dangerous curiosity, this is what his posture was towards the almighty God. Verses 21 and 22, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast, before you. I love these couple of verses because they remind us that when we allow dangerous curiosities to take hold in us, we are not seeing the world clearly. I remember the restaurant and I remember where I sat years and years ago here at HDC when I sat across from a gentleman who told me. I'm leaving my wife and this is why. I had no idea why he even asked me to meet with him. He'd made his decision, there was no going back. And I just said, so what are we doing here? And he's like, I just wanted you to know, as the rumors would begin to swirl, why I'm doing it. And every single thing he said made no sense. Absolutely contradicted everything he knew from scripture, everything the shepherd had told him to steer clear from, but for him, it was clear thinking. And the reality is, is that when we stop engaging with the word of God, when we stop training ourselves, living as though this is where I want to stay, and it takes active effort, not just watching myself become more like Jesus, that doesn't happen. But gravity will take hold if we don't. And then we become muddied in our thinking. We become able to justify things that make no sense. He failed to remain connected to God with that steady engagement of a healthy diet and exercise, as well as that he failed to disengage from dangerous curiosities that were brewing in his heart. The apostle Paul, by the way, would say something to the same protege we talked about a minute ago to Timothy about the dangers, not just of of dangerous curiosity towards things, towards money, towards riches, not that it just leads us into peril, but can lead us from faith. First Timothy six, verse nine, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That's where we usually stop, but read on. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This, that's the same essence of what Asaph was trapped in. That looks like a more desirable life than the one I'm living. It's powerful to note, by the way, Asaph's, we don't have time to go all through Psalm 73, but the turn for Asaph is when he came into the house of God, when he re-engaged with the shepherd and understood the fate, understood the end game of those who followed their own desires. They were gonna be completely lost forever. And he realized, I don't want any part of that. This is how he sums it up. Well, first in your notes, when Asaph re-engaged with the truth of God's word, when he came face to face again with God's truth, he was able to see clearly and understand that the greener grass on the other side of the fence wasn't green after all. That's not where I want to be. I see their end. I wanna stay with God. This is how he finishes that Psalm. Those who are far from you will perish, you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds." That's so good, that's fortified faith. Finally, in your notes, number three, God directs us to pursue brothers and sisters who pursue dangerous curiosities. God directs us to pursue brothers and sisters who pursue dangerous curiosities. Here's that part fortifying for us. us. What am I to do? And people in my oikos have left their faith due to the pursuit, due to the dominion of dangerous curiosities over their life. I'm so glad you asked. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is one of those passages that wrecked me my first year at Bible college. I'd grown up in the church and I had grown up with this idea, hey, I'm watching Pete and Pete is making a whole slew of just sinful decisions. Have you seen what's going on with Pete? I know, horrible, horrible. Should we, no, I don't wanna talk to him. That'd be embarrassing. And that's what my life was prior to understanding the truth of Matthew 18 is that when I'm aware, in this case, of a dangerous curiosity that someone in my world is walking towards, I'm supposed to go and talk to them. Literally, that was a revelation. I thought we were just supposed to go and talk about them. But Jesus makes it infinitely clear, go talk to them. Now there's so much in this passage we don't have time to unpack today. These three verses are incredibly rich and incredibly applicable and we are constantly working these out in our daily lives. This isn't just saved up for the biggies. This is everyday stuff. But let's look at where it begins. It begins with you being aware. Remember, if you witness it, if you're aware, you go and talk. And isn't that the part? Isn't that the part that we just go, Todd, come on. I did not ask to have to get in the messiness of this person's mess. I didn't do anything. I just happened upon it. I just came across the text. I just saw this thing. I just heard what they said. I don't want to get involved. And I completely understand your point because you're doing the math and you're saying if I go and have this conversation with them, I can do it in love, that's even fine, but in doing it in love doesn't mean they're gonna respond well. And I'm gonna tell you, they're probably not. But that doesn't mean we don't do what the shepherd has said. I will tell you, in her short life on the planet, my daughter, Kendi. Kendi is a college student up in the Rockland Roseville area at a place called Thrive College. And I will tell you, Joanna and I have had this conversation. We do not understand how many times in her young 20 years on the planet, God has brought these situations into her life. Friends that she's connected to at school, friends she's connected to at church, that are clearly leaving the shepherd in the way that they're acting and behaving. And Kenny will come to us and say, why does this always happen to me? I don't want this. I don't want to have to have those conversations. And we go, we get it. And God is up to something in your life through the reality that you keep getting into these situations. They're not your fault. You don't go looking for them. They present themselves. And when they do, you need to respond in loving confrontation just like God's word says. And I'm so grateful for this brave young lady that has to keep doing this. And she's a great example to me. Todd, don't look away. Don't act like you don't know what you know. Instead, engage and stay focused. And she has done such a great job. Look in your notes. Here's what we wanna recognize, a few things about our responsibility to wayward sheep. According to what we just read in Matthew 18. First, The directive to pursue other sheep who are out of right relationship with their shepherd or with other sheep comes directly from the good shepherd himself. Jesus speaking in a a concept of forgiveness is where this whole thing was, this conversation was at that I pulled these three verses out of. In that conversation, Jesus is the one, the good shepherd's the one who's told us to go engage sheep who've wandered away. So we have to understand that. Secondly, the goal of this loving confrontation uh, and this loving confrontation conversation is reconciliation. The phrase we read, you've won them over, not judgment. Why? That's not the sheep's job. That's the shepherds. The shepherds is to correct. The sheep are simply called to say, hey, I'm concerned about you. And by the way, these conversations are not coming with a hammer. I caught you. It's just the opposite, man, I love you so much. This is awkward, this is weird, but I've gotta tell you because I care about you. And finally, how how many of the people who have wandered from their faith had anyone who was aware of their straying ways but failed? failed to have a conversation with them according to Jesus' words in Matthew 18. How many people began in a dangerous curiosity completely unaware of people around them who saw it that said nothing? And how much would that have helped steer them back? Problem is, we have no way of knowing because those conversations never happened. And that's what this passage is about. Now I'm gonna tell you some of you are hearing this right now and you're going, Todd, I got a whole lot of reasons why getting into other people's mess is not my problem. And can I tell you, I'm sure if you have come to that conclusion, it's come through a lot of challenging experiences. I'm not doubting that a bit. I am telling you this. I didn't say, I didn't write Matthew 18. Jesus said it, Matthew wrote it, and it's authoritative for our lives. And here's the wild thing. For every conversation that I've had, moving into that space, not primarily as a pastor, but primarily simply as another follower of Jesus, for every one of those that went south, for every one of those that got ugly, just super awkward, whatever it was, there have been a handful that God used to be significant in their life, not because of me, but because they woke up to, oh my gosh, you're right. I don't want my life to be marked by that. I don't want my life to go that direction. I want to be with the shepherd. And I would tell you, if you had 10 conversations with people who were walking away from their faith, people who were walking in dangerous curiosities, and all 10 of them went bad, number one, that's not on you. But number two, it doesn't end with you. That was the rest of the passage. Then other people get involved. And I would just say when we come to our brothers and sisters, when we go to fellow sheep that we have a connection to out of care and love and reconciliation, all we're doing is mirroring the heart of the shepherd. And that so much is what we wanna be about. I'm gonna finish this message a little bit different than normally. And I wanna talk about someone who is anything but wayward in his faith, anything but straying from the shepherd. He's holding on to him with dear life. It's one of our wonderful staff members, you know well, Pastor Tim Wheeler. We just haven't had an opportunity to give you an update on what's going on with Pastor Tim. And so I'm gonna read this, just because it's so well written, not for any other reason but I want you to hear it and then I want us to pray for him. Pastor Tim Wheeler, one of our pastors who has served at Heidezer Church for the last 21 years is facing a significant health crisis. Recently, Pastor Tim has been diagnosed with advanced pancreatic cancer that has metastasized. He has begun treatment for this disease and they continue to seek the best additional medical options for addressing this cancer. Pastor Tim is a faithful pastor and friend to many of you, many of us at High Desert Church. And he wanted you to know that he misses everyone and he's praying for us. As a church, I'm asking you to join with our entire staff team and so many other family and friends to intentionally and faithfully pray for Tim, for his wife, Chris, and all their children and grandchildren during this difficult season. By the way, there's a picture up on the screen of a a Facebook page, a Facebook group that has been made just for Pastor Tim. So if you wanna link into that group and get updates and be able to chime in on just letting him know you care for him and love him, they would love it. Isaiah 41 10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We pray together to a God who loves Tim and we'll carry Tim in our confidence, and our confidence rests in His goodness and grace. So, I want to close our time praying for Pastor Tim. Father God, we come before you as a, a community, as this local expression of your church called HDC. And God, you have so richly blessed us in so many ways, and. One of those ways is with the staff team that you've assembled here that ministers, that serves, that cares so well for your people. And Pastor Tim has done that remarkably well these 21 years. I'm so very grateful for him and so very grateful for his love for you, so very grateful for the desire he has that people in his oikos and anyone he comes in contact with at HDC knows and is growing in their relationship with you. And he has been such a great comfort, such a great help to so many in times of great need. And so Father, we lift up Pastor Tim this weekend. We pray that you would do a healing work in his body. We pray that you would touch his heart in a powerful way, that he would know you are present. He would know you are near. And God, that he would see your strength strong in his life. Pray for his wife, Chris loves him deeply, such an incredibly sweet and gentle woman. We pray for her and we pray for their, their family, God, all kinds of great kids and grandkids. We lift them up to you as a family. And we pray they would not feel alone. We pray that we would take action and that we would find ways, God, to communicate our love and gratitude for his ministry in our lives. God, do a work. We pray he would heal his body we pray in the great name of Jesus, amen.